Welcome to Soul of Islam Radio. Soul of Islam Radio is a leading-edge personal growth and spiritual development podcast available entirely for free and ad-free throughout the world. My goal is to support you in your path of personal transformation and spiritual growth and to catalyze spiritual awakening within our global community. The present and the future depend upon our commitment to the highest and most noble ideals of a spiritually awakened life. Thank you for joining us. This is Ihsan, and this is Season 5, Episode 3. In this episode of Soul of Islam Radio, I interview Dr. Nafisa Sekandari on the subject of mental health and wellness particularly with regards to the ever-escalating condition of chronic anxiety, fear, and worry that is increasingly plaguing the health and wellness of human beings throughout the world. Dr. Nafisa Sekandari is an integrative and holistic licensed clinical psychologist practicing in the state of Arizona. She is the director of the website Mental Health for Muslims and manages the Mental Health for Muslims Facebook page. Dr. Sekandari is also the creator of the online self-paced course, Transforming Anxiety, in which she teaches not only how to regain control of one's life from anxiety, but also how to transform and understand the root cause of anxiety. You can learn more about this course at www.transforminganxiety.com forward slash anxious. Additional links and resources will be included in the show notes accompanying this episode. The following is our interview and conversation together. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. Welcome to all of our listeners at Soul of Islam Radio and also a warm welcome to Dr. Nafisa Sekandari, who is joining us today for this session on mental health and wellness. Uh, especially as it relates to faith, religion, and spirituality. Welcome, Dr. Sekandari. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's a great pleasure to have you with us, Dr. Sekandari, and especially to have a chance to have a conversation about this really important topic, one that perhaps uh, needs a lot more light shed on it within our community. So uh, maybe we can begin, Dr. Sekandari, by just having you uh, give us an introduction, a little bit of background about yourself. Well, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist currently in private practice specializing in anxiety-based disorders. Um, I do see patients ranging from children to elder adults, and right now the majority of my patients do struggle with anxiety, but um, given that anxiety is the number one disorder in the world, I'm not surprised, but that, um, that is something that I um, focus on, And but I'm also a holistic and integrative um, psychologist. I focus on treating patients as a whole instead of just symptoms and um, really focus on lifestyle and diet and nutrition all um, for and as far as having spirituality um, physical mental and emotional included along with spirituality to help my patients create balance and um, and control in their lives that's wonderful dr sekandari um, you know one of the things that 
that our faith teaches us, of course, is to have faith, to have Iman. And I've come to realize clearly that fear is often at the polar opposite of faith, that we either experience fear or faith. And given the way that the world seems to be going, it seems perhaps that one of the main reasons that anxiety seems to be on the rise uh, is probably a little bit of disconnection from faith and spiritual-based roots and foundations and tools that have historically supported human beings when it comes to dealing with anxiety, fear, concern, worry about the future. What are some of the things that in your practice and in your conversations and in your working with people you have found to be most effective in really a long-term solution to anxiety, stress, and worry? Well, fear is at the root of anxiety. And so when we're living in fear, we are, we're in a panic mode. And uh, given the way the world is right now, everything around us is fear-based. I mean, think about the politicians use fear to help us, you know, side on, on their side or uh, watch, watching the news and seeing everything that's going on with the world. Everything is presented to us in a way to keep us in a state of fear. Because when we're in a state of fear, we're not thinking rationally. We're not uh, making decisions based on um, faith, like you said. We're basing it on fear and, and just giving away our rights just for the sake of feeling safer. Um, but having faith and having and being focused on the, the present moment. Another thing that anxiety does is it's very future focused. So uh, we're always trying to control the future so we can calm our anxiety. But in reality, we have no control over the future. We have to learn how to focus on this moment and focus on what is it that we have control of in this very moment instead of thinking we can control tomorrow, we can control a political outcome, or we can control um, the world. Of course, we can do what we can in this moment and, and take action with what we have. Um, but when we are living in fear, we're not really focusing on anything outside of that fear. So when we have faith, we release some of that fear and know that we're in good hands, that we know everything's going to be okay. Um, and our problems are in a hand that's way more capable than anything we can take care of. So even right now, we're in the political, right before the election in the United States anyway, um, and a lot of people are, <clears throat> excuse me, fearing the unknown. There's a lot of uncertainty about the future. Um, but what they can do is just focus on just what is it that they can go and vote. They can go and take out and send a message out. They can do all those things, but they also at the same time have to let things go and realize that the the fate of the world, the fate of the United States, the fate of this, even the virus is in, in Allah's hands. And there's very little we can do. We just have to pray and let it go. But anxiety wants control. Anxiety wants us to be in control or, or feel like we're in control in order for us to feel calm. But learning how to let it, let go of that, um, that, that need for control is what actually brings us calm and letting it go in the hands of God and saying, okay, I can't, I can't take all of this. I'm just going to release it and pray that everything is going to be okay. That brings us calm. And in that quote that says, in the remembrance of Allah, the, the heart finds peace. That that is a very true statement um, that really, truly does bring us peace and calm and realizing that we are never going to be in total control, so we have to release it. So essentially, you, you've pointed out, Dr. Sekandari, the ayah, right? That in the remembrance of Allah, the dhikr of Allah, the hearts find peace, which is beautiful, which is wonderful. Now, 
one of the things that Allah Almighty also says in the Quran is when he refers to his awliya, the, the friends of God, as it's typically and commonly translated, those who have attained to a high level of, let's say, spiritual awakening or spiritual development. And regarding them, Allah Ta'ala says that upon them there is no fear, nor do they grieve. And one of the things that I try to point out, and I'm going to bridge into something you said here, which I think is really important and I'd like to focus on for a minute. One of the things that I try to point out is that fear, of course, is in the future. And that grief that Allah is talking about is in the past. So in describing those who are closest and nearest to him, in this ayah, it's as if Allah Almighty is describing a state of, or individuals, human beings, who are whose consciousness is not dominated by past and future, but rather who are tuned into and operating from the present moment. And you mentioned focusing on the present in order to begin to transcend fear, anxiety, worry, and stress. What are some of the practical tools? For example, I, I know that meditation right, is now widely being recognized as tremendously effective for dealing with stress and anxiety. Um, what's that experience been like in your practice in terms of uh, really classical, ancient, traditional, spiritual tools and techniques being used to, create, to treat this new pandemic of fear that is, seems to be gripping our culture and society? I like that you did mention the word pandemic and fear because this whole pandemic, the viral pandemic, is actually creating a, a significant rise in uh, mental illness right now because people are in fear and panic and they're very future focused. And so meditation is making a comeback because um, it does bring us back in our body. It puts us back and grounds us. And a lot of people, especially Muslims, are afraid of the word meditation because they feel like that's, that's Hinduism, that's Buddhism. And that doesn't apply to us, but med meditation is a part of our religious practice. We're, we call it zikr, we call it focusing on the blessings of Allah, we focus on certain verses or duas or ayahs. And so we don't really call it meditation, but that's basically what it is. I know for some people, prayer, like our five daily prayers, isn't necessarily a meditation. It's not a meditative practice because a lot of us are just getting through it and getting through our day and not really focusing. But if we can take the time, so some people might even say, well, I pray five times a day. That's enough. That's not enough, like I said, because a lot of people are just rushing through their prayers and getting it done, but they're not sitting and, and focusing on just breathing and just grounding themselves and focusing on the here and now. Um, this is why you can see um, the elderly or an, an old wise uh, person or somebody that meditates a lot or a Buddhist monk, everything for them is okay no matter what. And if, if you understand that, and, and it's the same thing with our own, you know, elderly scholars and um, uh, just in Islam, they understand the fact that it's all in God's hands and everything is ultimately okay. I used, to, I used to struggle with the word Alhamdulillah when bad things happen. Like, why would I say that when something bad happens? But it made me realize that sometimes something that's bad that could happen might actually have a positive outcome, and we don't know. And we need to still, or it could have been worse. And we need to constantly focus on, okay, I'm okay right now. Alhamdulillah, things are okay. And those are the kinds of things that brings us back in our body. And those meditative practices that are from the ancients or from the Far East, um, that we might think that doesn't apply to us. It does apply to us because it's also part of our spiritual practice and we can make it work for us without necessarily having to become Buddhist or become Hindu. 
those those are universal practices that no longer have a religious connection. It just really brings you back into your body. And at the physiological, psychological level, we need to be back in our body in order to think rationally and and be present instead of feeling like chicken little and focusing on the on the worst case scenario and and and, and acting and reacting based on that. I hope that answered your question. No, that's very, very good and actually really wonderful to hear you as well saying the importance of meditation, meditative practice as being really part and parcel of our faith and our tradition. I think one of the things that people tend to forget is that that state of presence is actually a requirement in the Salah for it to be effective, for it to be truly beneficial here and now rather than just an obligation or requirement that needs to be fulfilled, checked off done and that we'll get the reward for an akhirah. I really believe based on really the teachings of our Prophet ﷺ, he said that the prayer is the coolness to my eyes, meaning that he had a real deep, profound experience of peace in prayer. And we can see through the lives of the pious since then that this is the way that they approach the prayer. You mentioned um, getting back into the body, Dr. Sakandari. Could you speak a little bit about the power and the importance of breath to root and anchor a human being into the present moment and into their body. And I would also add that this is perhaps something that we don't think of enough, but Allah Almighty says in the Quran, he breathed into the human being from his spirit and that there is a sacredness to the human breath. Again, something that I don't think is spoken of enough within the community, but we have seen, for example, scientifically, and, and you know, I'm sure uh, extensively about this, the benefit of breath and the power of breath to bring human being into meditative states as well as to help heal the body and and to provide a very real benefit. Definitely. Um, I do want to speak to the, of course, when we're praying five times a day, it's supposed to be that moment that we take that break. And it's built into our religion, alhamdulillah, that we can take that break, the mental and emotional break during our, our busy day and, and pray. But for a lot of people, it is a lot easier to meditate than to focus on their prayers and meditation. This is why meditation is a practice. It can take years, even for the Buddhist monks, it could take years for them to get to that level of prayer and meditation. And so I want people to understand just because they're not necessarily benefiting from the the calming effect of prayer because they are doing their obligation that they're supposed to have that. It is a practice. It's something that you keep doing repeatedly. It, it, it's only that I've become older that I actually appreciate my morning prayer, for example, right now because of the stretching effect it has on my joints. And I'm just so grateful for how it helps me just get my morning started. So not everybody can go from starting their prayers to being in that meditative state. So I do want to mention that. But also the power of breath. Uh, the whole breathing, it is so sacred. We take it for, for granted. I don't know how many of you have uh, ever had a sore throat or been unable to breathe for a second and how awful that feels. But we take it for granted how beautifully we take a breath so many times during a, a, even in a minute and not even pay attention to it. But if we actually prolong that breath and make it a longer one where actually our diaphragm expands and then we get out all that used uh, carbon dioxide and take in healthy oxygen, it's bringing a lot of energy into our blood and sending it to our, all our organs in our brain. 
But it also does something else because if you think about it, if you're running away, like if you're in a fight or flight state, if you're running away from a tiger or a bear or being mugged in an alley or whatever, you're not, you're breathing very shallow. You're breathing from your chest. You're panting. And so when you're taking deep breaths, you're sending a signal to your brain to say, all is well. I'm calm in this moment. And when you do that, your body chemistry changes. It goes from releasing adrenaline and cortisol to releasing uh, chemicals that are soothing and calming. And your body goes from a state of fight or flight to rest and digest. And so it even affects your, um, how you digest your food before you eat. And um, even growing up, you know, you always hear we should say Alhamdulillah or Bismillah before we eat and we should do a little prayer. But even doing that little thing, um, that little blessing that people sometimes like, oh, why are you doing that? It's like just rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, and just eat. You, you don't realize that that even taking that moment and just centering yourself, you're being more mindful. And so your body is able to digest that food better. Your body is able to absorb the nutrients more. And you're not going to end up having long-term health issues. So taking that moment and just really even getting yourself centered and grounded before taking a, a bite of food puts you in a state of rest and digest versus fight or flight. When we're quickly shoveling food down in our throats and, and just quickly eating and, and we're in a state of stress, we're not sending the, the, the blood and the nutrients to our, to our, or the enzymes to our gut in order to digest that food. So we're going to have uh, digestive dis disorders. We're going to have um, bloating and gas and just not feeling very good. So it's really important to breathe for so many different moments, like before an exam, taking just even, I even tell people, tell my patients, put the little, put a little sticker on your rear view mirror in your car that says breathe. So every time you stop at a stoplight and you're looking at your rear view mirror, it reminds you, take a deep breath. It's so essential for us to do this throughout the day so that mm -hmm. we can calm our system down. Oh, that's um, wonderful. That's a beautiful suggestion. Yeah, so I hope I answered that question. If you had other... Yeah, no, that was wonderful, Dr. Secondary. That's, uh, that's great. And so, in fact, we see sometimes now people, they do have T-shirts or, or little reminders that literally say just to breathe, the most mm -hmm. basic thing that that uh that we've forgotten how to do and maybe in the loss of fitra you know this can actually help lead us back to that original state of wholeness that we were created in could you speak a little bit dr sekunder now you were talking about you know we have our psychology the mind and then we have our physiology which is the body and how each affects the other in effect perhaps it can be said that these are two sides of the same coin the body and the mind are deeply connected based on your professional and scientific background could you maybe speak a moment on the importance of or the relationship between one's physiology and their psychology i know you mentioned it but maybe just emphasize perhaps the importance of by physically taking control of our physiology we can actually learn to relax calm and even surrender the mind well i always say that there is no uh, physical health without mental health uh, we do believe that, uh, we think that if I just focus on taking care of myself physically and exercising or even maybe eating a little bit better and uh, neglect my mind, then I'm going to be okay. But there's a reason why we're seeing such a, a huge rise in mental illness. So I'm speaking from a, as a psychologist uh, as far as the effect of neglecting your body, neglecting self-care, um, neglecting your sleep and not taking care of yourself and what impact that has on your mental illness or mental health in, in general. 
Um, a lot of my patients come in and they're in a state of distress when they see me because, uh, and the first session, a lot of people are very surprised when they see me and that they're like, I didn't, I didn't expect to talk so much about my diet. I didn't expect to talk about my sleep. I didn't expect to talk about how much movement I'm getting throughout the day or just even self-care. I just wanted to talk about what's bothering me. Well, you're not going to feel better if you're not taking care of yourself physiologically. If you're not taking care of yourself and honoring yourself and honoring your circadian rhythm and not going to bed when you're supposed to and not eating the foods you're supposed to, it's going to have ramifications and you will end up feeling more mentally ill and you're going to struggle in every area of your life. So for me, they're the same. You have to uh, take care of yourself psychologically. And one of the biggest physiological uh, factors that we have to keep in mind is our gut. Our gut is responsible for our immune system. Our gut is responsible for the release of the feel-good chemicals that make us feel happy and healthy. And so when we're not eating the foods that we're supposed to eat, when we're not resting and digesting and allowing our gut to take care, because stress can also kill the, the, the good feel-good bacteria in our gut as well. So if we're not managing our stress, if we're not uh, eating the foods that are going to help our uh, gut biome flourish, then we are going to be more mentally sick. So they, they are definitely dependent on each other, and we can't have one without the other. You mentioned the increase in fear and anxiety as a result of this pandemic, the COVID virus. And it's unfortunate that more emphasis isn't given on improving individual health and the immune system as probably the most effective way of combating this virus. Would you agree with that? Oh, in the beginning, back in March, I made several videos about just that, that it's, it's so important for us if we want to stay healthy and not get sick is to take care of ourselves by eating well, making sure we're going to bed uh, at a timely manner. Because what happened when, when the whole country shut down is people started staying up late and they were up scrolling and, and reading a lot of fear-based articles and eating a ton of junk food. I mean, mm. people were joking about how the grocery store you couldn't find any packaged items, but all those shelves are full of fruits and vegetables. Nobody wanted those. They wanted the junk, feel-good comfort foods. And so when we were doing that, not only did it add the COVID-15, but people were gaining weight. But at the same time, people started feeling sicker. They, they just didn't have the energy. They were lacking motivation. They were feeling more depressed. They were feeling more anxious. And so, when, like I said, when we're not taking care of ourselves and focusing on the here and now and saying, okay, what do I have control over? I have control over what time I go to bed. I have control over what I put in my mouth and, take, and how I take care of my body. I have control over the time that I meditate or relax or um, even exercise. Those are the things that I can do to make sure that I'm mentally healthy so that I'm not making decisions based on fear and irrational thoughts. Um, so it, it definitely is is connected and that we have to take care of ourselves if we want to reduce because there in reality there is really no reality it's just our perceptions right if if i'm feeling the world is a terrible place and it's all it's, it's just it's like chicken little if i feel like the world is ending and it's going to be chaotic i'm going to react in that way but if i feel like okay everything's okay i'll be fine i'm just going to focus on what i have control over and let go and, and pray for allah to take care of the rest then i'm going to react differently and my body's not in a constant state of fight or flight. So taking care of myself becomes really, really important if I want to stay healthy, if I want to not um, get sick from COVID or anything else. Because when we are stressed and we're, and we're afraid, we're reducing our immune system. 
And when we're reducing our immune system because we're stressed and we're not taking care of ourselves, then we're way more prone to getting sick. So it's just like a catch-22. It's just the cycle continues. One of the causes of fear, anxiety, stress are cultural and environmental, the things that we're exposed to. But I want to bridge into something maybe a little bit deeper in our psychology, which has to do with unhealed trauma. And maybe if you could speak for a moment, Dr. Sekandari, on the impact of unhealed trauma. And sometimes this could be things that we've forgotten. And now science is even showing that some of this is even inherited genetically. What is, in your experience, the impact of unhealed trauma? And then maybe we can talk about the importance of working to heal and resolve unhealed, unrecognized, unacknowledged trauma with regards to human health physically, and then also as well as psychologically, uh, as well as the way that that impacts our lives, especially in the course and context of relationships, as well as even being effective and successful in the world. Well, when I was talking about some people just really reacting in a fear-based way when with this whole shutdown, a lot of people that reacted that way had unresolved trauma. And trauma, I want to really point out that it doesn't have to be war and migration or car accidents or rape or domestic violence. It could be little traumas like being humiliated or being neglected or being, um, you know, unattended and just not getting your needs met when you were a child. So a lot of people, the hoarding, the whole toilet paper of the fiasco, right? Um, what, what caused that? That had to have been a trauma response. That what's going to happen if I don't have this? I have to have a sense of control by hoarding as much as I can. And so a lot of times, the thing with trauma is uh, when we go through a traumatic experience and we don't process it, and a lot of times we might not even know about it, like you said, it could be something that happened in our childhood or we might have forgotten about it. If we don't end up dealing with it or treating it, um, it can start affecting all the decisions we make to, it, it can be, it, it, for example, as far as you mentioned relationships, um, let's say you were raised by narcissistic parents and it was, there was a lot of abuse, there's a lot of emotional hurt and neglect and um, just your needs not getting met. Well, the chance of you marrying a narcissist becomes really high because you have that background of being raised by a narcissistic parent. So we end up reenacting our trauma without even realizing it. We might think, I would never want a parent like that because that's why, you know, that's where I was, I was raised by somebody like that. And then somehow we end up being attracted subconsciously without even realizing it to this person. And a lot of times that happens because that's an opportunity for us to heal the wound, but we don't understand that. So we end up getting in the same cycle. And we end up going through the same traumatic event again. And a lot of times it's very difficult to identify this um, unresolved trauma because it can be so deep in the subconscious. Um, and it, it's very difficult to do it on your own. So you might need the help of a trained mental health professional to help you access that and then to help you work through it. But working through it is the best thing you can do because then you're not being controlled. Your, your triggers and your reactions are not being controlled by past trauma. You're able to be present in the moment and make decisions based on now versus based on childhood experiences or past experience. Mashallah. And so one of the things that I try to also emphasize in a lot of the work that I do is the importance of faith, religion, and really spirituality um, being a means to healing and the means to self-awareness. The pious from the early period of Islam 
stated, Man arafu nafsahu faqad arafu rabahu, meaning who knows themselves is as one who knows their Lord. And so I want to maybe have you speak a little bit, Dr. Sekandari, about the necessity, not just the importance, but really in this day and age and in the reality in the world, the culture, the environment that we find ourselves in, the necessity of self-awareness and how can people develop that? Well, I do want to mention that there's a lot of uh, amazing role models in our past and our religion and our history. And, and so it's, it's wonderful for us to look to them and aspire to be them. But we also have to understand that they, especially the uh, Sahaba that were close to Prophet Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, they had mm. him to guide them. And, but they also lived in close communities and they had elders to guide them. They talked to people. They, uh, the idea of actually going to somebody and getting therapy, as we call it today, is very, what well, was very common back then. In fact, there's a huge history with us, with Muslims, that, um, you know, we, we understand psychology as being a Western concept, but it really isn't. Muslims were treating mental health and with modern medicine, modern tools a thousand years ago. And this is what I want Muslims to understand, and that those people had others to go to, and there wasn't the stigma or shame around mental health. There wasn't the stigma or shame around seeking help and getting and, and having the self-awareness. People talked to each other. They guided each other. They advised each other. They went to somebody that could advise them. They had elders that they respected. They had wise people in the community that they could go to. But now we don't have that. We're a very fragmented society around the world. Even in our, uh, back in our own countries, like back in Afghanistan or, or other Muslim countries, we don't have uh, the same built-in communities that we once had. And so we're not going to get that, uh, the same kind of guidance. So it's, that leaves mental health professionals as our only option. We can say, well, I have friends and family, but if your friends and family um, are functioning at the same level or have the same level of dysfunction, you're not going to get the, the help that you need. Or they might not have the training or understanding to help you really get to the root of your issues and help you understand yourself at a level that you can um, get closer to Allah because you understand yourself more. You have to do the work, but you have to have the right guide. And there should be no shame going to a therapist, whether that's a Muslim therapist or a non-Muslim therapist. There are people that can help you understand yourself and, and guide you in the direction that you need to go as far as self-awareness goes. And so um, we need to, as a community, do better with reducing the stigma of mental health treatment. Uh, I know that there's a lot of Muslims don't want to go to a therapist, but they don't want to also go to a non-Muslim therapist because they're like, well, they won't understand me. That might be true, but you don't give up on the concept of therapy. Keep trying until you find somebody that can understand you. And there are a lot of non-Muslim therapists that can be give you excellent advice on how to manage anxiety or OCD or depression that have nothing to do with religion. It could, it's just a universal uh, method of treatment. It's like going to a non-Muslim doctor for a physical ailment. Um, so when it comes to spiritual issues, finding a, a, a sheikh or, or, a, or, or an imam that, can, that's, that's, that understands mental health, that can actually guide you in the right way. Uh, and I want to caution people against this too, because there are some imams, unfortunately, that believe that the answer to any ailment, mental health-wise, is just to pray more or just to, that, that your iman is weak. And so you have, to, um, you have to strengthen that and pray more and be more religious uh, instead of focusing on that. That mental illness is a physiological, has a physiological component and there is a chemical issue and there are other things that you can do 
and even our own Prophet would actually encourage people to talk to him about their issues and would send them specific foods that, that related to their ailments. He didn't just say, pray more. He really focused on what the issue was and treated it at that level. Um, otherwise, that would have been a, a, an ayah or, or something that we were directed to do is just to pray in case of calamities, right? But there were specific things that we can do and talking to somebody and really uh, getting objective feedback is the best way to get to know ourselves more, but also to find somebody where you feel safe. Because if you don't feel safe sharing yourself at that level, you're not feeling safe to share your thoughts and beliefs with somebody, you're not going to get the feedback you need to get to the, uh, to the level of um, understanding and self-awareness that you're looking for. So many good points there, Dr. Sikandari. Thank you. Uh, again, I would just, again, reemphasize the importance of seeking help, seeking support, seeking, seeking guidance, seeking knowledge, seeking uh, whatever is required. And that I have seen, unfortunately, uh, within the community sometimes, how mental health issues can actually be exacerbated when they're not approached properly. And when they are told, just simply pray or do more dhikr or do this or do that, that is just not addressing necessarily the issues and the root causes. So uh, again, I want to thank you for pointing out all of these things. You also mentioned the societal, structural, you know, the way that our society and structure, our culture is now organized as being a contributing component to mental health and challenges in terms of fear and stress and anxiety and worry. It's interesting because a lot of the cultures that have evolved and developed over thousands of years have really been dismantled in the last few uh, decades even. And traditional systems of living really based in family, relationships, relatives, tribe, and community have for the most part broken down. Could you speak a little bit, Dr. Sekandari, about the impact of loneliness and isolation with regards to mental health and wellness? Well, it's interesting that you brought that up because I was about to just mention before you even said the word loneliness, that loneliness is the number one uh, uh, cause of death for the elderly right now. I mean, not, not their other physical, but they're, they're so lonely. And it's predicted that we are going to be uh, more and more distressed because we're so lonely. And this social isolation isn't helping either. Um, I used to work with uh, the elderly, I would go into their homes, the people that really had no one, I would go and do therapy there. And th I did this for a year just to learn and understand how to work with the elderly. I had no experience working with them. And so it was such an eye-opening experience for me to go in. And I was the only one that they would see in a whole week. They had no one to help them, to support them, to talk to them. And the only other times that they would go is to go talk to their doctors about ailments. And so when they go to their, to, their, to their medical doctors, they just come back with more pills. They're not getting their emotional needs met. And it was so, they, they were so grateful and thankful for having somebody just come sit with them for an hour and to talk to them. I know, thank Alhamdulillah, in our communities, we are more cohesive and we, we don't allow our, our elderly to be all isolated like that. But at the same time, how often are we really sitting with them and talking to them and not just meeting their their food and their uh, their shelter needs, and and so that's another way that we've um, fallen short on as a society is we're not taking care of our elderly, but we're also socially isolated ourselves. 
a lot of us just go to work and then come back home and we're even if we're living living with our family members we're not connecting with them at the way we need to so i uh, loneliness and heartbreak are real things people literally die from heartbreak um and it changes the way we um just we process our, our, our world and how we process the chemicals in our body when we don't feel uh, listened to or seen or heard. They say that a child will die, even if, if you can give them all the food and the, the nutrients that they need as a baby, as an infant, if you don't give them love and touch, they will fail to thrive and they will die. So touch and communication and, and, and love and all of that truly is what makes the world go round. We do need to make sure we connect with each other and not socially isolate ourselves. We are more, we think because we have all these followers online or we have people liking our posts on social media that we have connection, but we, we are less connected now because of social media than we were before it. SubhanAllah bihamdi. May Allah Almighty forgive us really, all of us as a, as a species, as in a race, uh, Dr. Sekundari, especially when it comes to the way that the elderly are treated uh, in the world these days. Um, could you please, maybe now in the little bit of time that we have left, share with the audience some practical tips, suggestions, tools that they could really think about implementing into their lives to improve their overall health psychologically, physically, spiritually? Well, we talked about just breathing. Breathing is very, very important. And if you can learn to breathe throughout the day, take several deep breaths as many times as you can during the day, that would be, that would be huge. But I really want to focus on sleep. Sleep is something that we neglect and we don't, we don't think too much about. And if we're not sleeping and repairing and resting our brain and our body the way we need to every night and we're not getting that level of deep sleep, or even the REM sleep to consolidate our memories, um, we're not functioning well the next day. And a lot of people, you know what, I, I found this really interesting that um, because we, you know, we're supposed to go to sleep the same time and wake up the same time. If we can keep that consistent, that makes a huge difference. And uh, subhanAllah, that just even the, the fact that we have to wake up for Fajr to pray, that keeps it consistent, right? But a lot of people, what they do is during the week, they'll have their um, get up at five, get ready for work, go do all that. But then on the weekend, they will stay up late and then they will sleep in late. Just that change and that, that weekend cycle puts their body in uh, jet lag mode. And then the majority of heart attacks and car accidents end up happening on a Monday because of that little shift that we do with our sleep. So keeping sleep consistent and honoring our circadian rhythm and going to bed in a timely manner, for me, I feel like that, is, that should be 10 o'clock because our melatonin levels in our, in our brain um, and our body peak between 10 and 2. So 10 at night until 2 in the morning, I'm actually keeping track of my sleep right now. I bought this aura ring and I, I'm, I'm trying to see how much deep sleep I'm getting, how much uh, rest I'm getting, how much REM sleep I'm getting. And I notice consistently that the majority of my deep sleep is happening between 12 and 2 in the morning. Um, but that's because it takes, like, I go through other cycles until I get to that 12 to 2 to get that deep sleep. Um, maybe I'll have a little bit of a deep sleep between 3 and 4 in the morning because it shows me a graph of what's happening and when I'm in deep sleep. And so consistently, it has to be before 2 um, that, I'm get, that we have to be asleep 
between 10 and 2 in order to be able to get that deep sleep in because that's when our body literally washes itself, gets rid of all the beta amyloids that we've collected throughout the day. It gets rid of, and shockingly, our brain shrinks. And so it's in order for us to be able to go into that repair mode, we need to be in that deep sleep for as long as possible. Um, so making sure to go to bed on a time uh, before before 11 o'clock, I would say. A lot of people are going to bed at 1 or 2 in the morning. That is not okay. If you can go to sleep between 10, I mean at 10 to 11 o'clock, that's good. Um, changing your diet, making sure you're eating foods that are actually good for you, getting rid of uh, processed foods and focusing on your gut bacteria and making sure that you're eating foods that are actually making your gut biome thrive um, and, and grow. Because I see my, my, my gut bacteria, my three pounds of gut bacteria as my defense system. They're my military. They're the ones that I need to make sure I take care of. And, you know, the United States is always mocked for spending so much money in, as far as like investing so much in the military. We need to do that with our gut. We need to focus on making sure we're eating foods that are going to make our gut bacteria healthy, making sure that the, the good bacteria is thriving because when they're healthy and they're good, they're releasing all the feel-good chemicals. They're helping us be more calm. They're helping us be less depressed. They're helping us be not anxious. They're helping us be focused and sleep better and lose weight and all of those things. So we need to make sure we're taking care of our gut and eating foods that are not packaged and processed because they need fiber. They need nutrients. We need to make sure we're getting a good fat, a good protein, and a good carb for every meal if we can. Um, and even our snacks should be healthy. It shouldn't be junk food that's going right through our system and our gut bacteria isn't getting anything. Uh, what else? Exercise is really important because it's releasing the feel-good chemicals in our brain as well. And it, it, it helps us feel calmer and it, it increases our heart rate variability. So that's really important, and it, which also in turn helps us sleep better. So getting exercise will help us sleep better and get that deep sleep. And of course, incorporating meditation. Meditation can be literally 10 minutes. If you, can, if you can't do anything else, just lie on your back and listen to some guided meditation. There are so many free guided meditations available on YouTube. Just for 10 minutes, just close your eyes. And uh, the ring I told you about, it also measures um, uh, the amount of blood I'm getting in my hands when I do meditation. And it's really amazing how quickly my body temperature increases when I'm in a 10-minute meditation. Um, so it's giving me a lot of feedback as far as what's happening to my body when I'm doing these practices. So there, you can literally see the effects. Um, so if you can incorporate just a 10-minute meditation in the morning, um, that can help you get your day started. Journaling. Journaling would be another thing that I think is so important. We keep so much bottled up inside of us. We need to get it out. I always tell my patients, it's like, you know, I don't know if it's the same with you as far as carrying change in your pocket. But for most men, they carry a bunch of stuff in their pockets when they uh, go out throughout the day, right? And then when they come home, they dump everything on the nightstand or somewhere. Do you do that? I I hate carrying things in my pocket, so I try to keep them as empty as possible throughout the day. But, you know, <laughs> right. I understand. I, right. I, I anytime, any chance I get, I try to remove even the keys. Right. So men need purses, I think. But um, Right. Um, my ki but, my kids know, would laugh about that. <laughs> or a fanny pack. I've been um, carrying one for the last 15, 20 years. <laughs> a purse or a fanny pack? A satchel. Oh, okay. I think that's great. It's good for yeah. in a lot of ways. But for most people, they don't. And so they end up carrying everything, and then they put everything out in their nightstand. That's, what, that's the equivalent I, uh, that I have to imagine 
me carrying a bunch of stuff throughout the day. And then when I journal at night, I'm just dumping everything. So I'm not carrying it with me. Mm-hmm. For a lot of people that have high stress jobs, like when I used to work in the schools as a school psychologist, I would have such terrible days dealing with uh, angry parents or just uh, uh, kids that were that were unruly or teachers that were upset that I didn't want to carry that with me anymore. So I started carrying a journal and just leaving it at work and just really dumping all of my frustrations, my anger, my my thoughts for the day in that journal and just leaving it at work. I didn't want to carry that with me. But a lot of people um, don't have that opportunity. So you can maybe before dinner, when you come home, before dinner, sit down and write down all the problems that you had during the day and just leave it there so that you're not carrying it to bed with you. Because if you don't have a place to dump it, it's going to keep you awake. It's going to affect you from going to bed and having a good night's rest. So making sure you you journal and and journal in a way that not only do you get all of the anger, the good, the bad, and the ugly out, but also feeling safe enough to put everything in that journal and not feeling like somebody's going to read it. Uh, and if you feel like you're not going to have the privacy to keep a journal, you can rip up and shred everything if you want afterwards. It doesn't even matter what you do with that piece of paper as long as it gets out of you and onto something else. So it's really important to journal. Those are some excellent suggestions, Dr. Sekandari, and I would personally attest to all of them, including journaling. I've been journaling since I was a teenager, oh, and good. it's been one of the most effective ways that I've used to um, even see my own thoughts clearly and then deconstruct them so that they don't keep kind of operating in the subconscious. Um, I want to thank you for this really enlightening conversation, Dr. Sekandari. It's been great to have you here with us. I uh, really appreciate your your insight, your suggestions. And, um, you know, we'd love to have you back at some point. Is there anything else that you wanted to share with the community before we conclude? Well, I did want to let people know if they were interested in, in doing some meditation. I do, I do have a 21 day free guided meditation challenge on my website. Um, what this is a collection of all the med- different types of meditations that I've really liked over the years. And I've put them in a 21 day. So every day you will get a different meditation sent to you. Um, uh, it's just automatic. And so for 21 days, you'll get exposed to different types of meditation from Qigong to affirmations to tapping to um, just muscle relaxation and breathing exercises. And there are also some um, some some links to children's meditation as well. So if people are interested in um, down or signing up for that, they can go to uh, transforminganxiety.com slash meditate uh, and just sign up and you'll get every single day you will get a new uh, meditation to try and hopefully that'll help you with uh, feeling more balanced and grounded wonderful thank you dr sekundari and for those listening we'll have some links in the description below this podcast below this episode as well so that you can uh, follow up with dr sekundari if you wanted to um, stay in touch and follow her work as well I want to thank you dr sekundari again for joining us may all almighty bless you and support you and use you as a means for spreading light and healing within uh, within our community and within the world. Thank you, Dr. Sekandari. Thank you so much for having me. Salam alaikum, everybody. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Soul of Islam Radio. 
I sincerely hope that this content will continue to support you in your personal path of spiritual growth, development, and awakening towards greater health, happiness, and success, both in this life and the next. With Soul of Islam Radio, it is my goal to educate and to inspire, and to help us continually develop our path and practice so as to progressively awaken to our true selves and to our divine purpose and potential. To continue this journey, here's what you can do next. Visit us at www.spiritualexcellence.com where you can get access to exclusive resources, knowledge, and learning that will help you deepen your experience and understanding of faith and of spirituality. At spiritualexcellence.com, you will learn how to make real and relevant the spiritual path of awakening and personal development, and how to reach greater levels of peace, prosperity, health, happiness, and success both in this life and the next, with the grace and guidance of God, the Most High. Also, if you have not yet done so, please subscribe to this podcast via iTunes and leave us a review. This will help others find Soul of Islam Radio, and I would personally greatly appreciate it. For those of you who have already went ahead and given us a positive rating and review, we sincerely thank you, and may the divine continue to bless and increase you. Lastly, please feel free to share this resource with family and friends who you feel may benefit from tuning in to Soul of Islam Radio. Again, thank you for joining us and for committing to your own personal growth and spiritual development. This is Ihsan, wishing you and your loved ones joy, success, happiness, peace, and prosperity in both this life and the next, to your divine, eternal, and absolute success. Oh.